Hello and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vandwerp, the I and I Think You're Interesting, and I work for a corporation. I'm sure many of you do. Uh, maybe some of you out there listening to this right now are on your shifts at a tiny little mom and pop entrepreneurial business that employs six or seven people, and you know everybody, and you have great fun together, and you all go out for drinks on the weekends, and you are actually, I, I don't know if you knew this, but you are a workplace sitcom in another universe, and you, you probably don't even realize that, but people are enjoying your exploits in some parallel universe. However, most of us work at gigantic companies, which can be fun to work for, but also can be a little bit dehumanizing. And even I, who works for a giant company he really likes, which I think does good things and makes good stuff, there are times when I'm like, am I just like a part of a giant machine and nobody actually cares about me? And that, I think, is why I sparked so much to Comedy Central's new show, Corporate, which has been running for a few weeks now, and it got previous episodes on ComedyCentral.com. Corporate is a wonderful, fun show. Fun, maybe, is too strong a word. When I have recommended this to people, they're like, this is kind of dark. And I'm like, hmm, the fact that I don't see this as dark probably says a lot about me. But it is a very funny show about what it is like to work in one of these giant corporations, what it's like to be part of a big machine that maybe doesn't care about your well-being as much as it says it does. It just cares about if you get the work done. The average life expectancy for a Hampton DeVille employee is 57.1 years. They get 5.2 so hours tired. of sleep a I night. I wish I could be and asleep all the time. At least you just described that. The employee hasn't hmm. eaten a yeah, I guess I want to be dead. I can't wait to die. Sounds so relaxing. Every year, the average employee consumes 561 cups of coffee and 1,000 when I drink coffee. Coffee is a scam. Me an adult taking Adderall. The average Hampton DeVille employee strongly agrees with the following phrase. If I see a pill, I eat a pill. The average employee has 7.8 suicidal thoughts per day, 18 panic attacks a year, and wonders once an hour, every hour, why this is happening to them. So I wanted to talk to two of the show's creators, Matt Ingebretson and Jake Wiseman. They are the two stars of the show. They wrote the show. They essentially are the show in many ways, though, of course, they're many other great people on the show, including Lance Reddick from The Wire and Ann Dudek, who you may remember from House. Matt and Jake, really, this is their first TV show, and I'm just impressed and blown away by how much I enjoy it. So I wanted to have them in to talk about what they learned about making television and what they learned about working at a corporation and whether there's any way to feel a little bit more like a human being within that environment. So those of you who work for giant companies, please listen in. Even if you haven't watched the show, I think our discussion will be of interest to you. Those of you who work at the tiny little business where you have everybody you work with is your friend, you can listen too, but I'm a little jealous of you. Let's check it out. My guests today are Jake Weissman. Hi. And Matt Ingebretson. Hey, how's it going? And they are from Comedy Central's Corporate, which is one of my favorite new shows of the young year. Uh, it's really great to have you guys here. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us. So uh, I, I was looking at your credits, and this is like the first time you've created, written, run, etc., a TV show. What was the thing you thought you knew when you started that you had absolutely no <laughs> idea was going to be the case? Well, I don't, this is going to be maybe sound terrible, but the thing that I knew is that I hate 
most scripted comedies right. so right. much. And I feel like there's an, a giant chasm out there in terms of what should be on screen. Mm-hmm. And I think if you really are angry at what's going on, you should be called out on it and get a chance to make something you actually like. And I think <laughs> we tried to make something that we didn't think was being seen. And mm-hmm. so that was our advantage. I don't think we knew how long it would take to make this thing. It's been three years since we pitched it. And it's just like... Oh, I guess that's that's my life. There, there went my life. <laughs> Thankfully, doing something I wanted to do. What was the the lesson that maybe took the longest? Took that whole three years to like kind of get drilled into you. I think because of that time span, you have to have like a maniacal dedication to the project mm-hmm. because you just over three years, your interest in it not necessarily waivers, but just that's a long period of time and you have to have crazy dedication to it. And I think, too, you have to get a bunch of other people to be crazy dedicated to it as Mm -hmm. well, because regardless of what people are working on, they make a paycheck and whether or not something is good or not, they continue to make a paycheck. And so trying to get a large group of people over the three year period of time to make something good was challenging. I remember when I watched the documentaries like Burden of Dreams or Lost in La Mancha or the one about Apocalypse Now, I forget the name of it. Hearts of Darkness. Hearts of Heart of Darkness. I was like, that just seems ridiculous. Those guys are being silly. <laughs> and now that I know how how focused you have to be and how every little detail is like a little wrinkle it's like you're in the army and you have to you have to like make sure the the bed you're making has no wrinkles in it that's not a good metaphor um but uh it's like that you have to be so incredibly focused and hyper focused and care so much and you're going to lose years of your life and you're going to like lose sleep and all that just to make something great for the sake of making something great it's it's pretty hard um it takes everything which it should Mm-hmm. It should take everything because so many people want to do it. So you better work the hardest. Otherwise, you shouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. What I'm getting from this is that season two is going to be about dragging a steamer boat through the jungle. <laughs> close. <Yeah. laughs> Very close. Um, so one of the things I think is interesting about the show is that uh, a lot of comedy on TV is kind of loose, uh, often improvisatory. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, they're great shows in that, that form. But this is a very um, – everything about this show is – specific and precise uh, especially the filmmaking and like i'm sure there was room to improvise a little bit but mm-hmm. but like you can tell it's like the stories are very tightly crafted all of that um tell me a little bit about developing the look and the world and just the feel of the show because it's so uh specific to a certain point of view well we always had the idea for the look going into it because most office comedies have really open lighting and you're supposed to want to be there with the characters like the office which i think the office is a great show but it doesn't reflect how we felt working in offices, which was like we were in a drama of our lives and that we had to get out to survive. <laughs> so we always like movies. We're much bigger fans of Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, David Fincher, the Coen brothers, than really anything on TV. You know, we're just really fans of filmmaking. So we always wanted to make something that involved filmmaking. And we pitch the show with that look. We, like, right. we want it to look like Fincher. We want it to look like a drama, feel like a drama, and then just have the silliest jokes ever. And also... We wanted to make a satire, so we love movies like Doctor Strange Love and Network, and that necessitates almost perfect writing. I'm not saying we're writing perfectly. I'm just saying it takes kind of 
every word matters. And if you put it on the page and you film that, then you can improvise after that. And if what you improvise is better, great. But so many TV shows are just like wobbly camera Mm -hmm. and just get the funniest people ever to say silly stuff. But it was important that we had it on the page and that every episode felt like a mini movie. That was the point of what we were doing. We have another clip here. Let's listen to it. So how bad is this? We ran the numbers and more people are outraged about the tweet than they are about the hurricane. Comparatively, people like the hurricane more than they like the tweet. Jesus Christ. We have got to distract people from this tweet. So what are our options? Can we start a different hurricane? Have we finished building that hurricane machine yet? Sir, I, <clears throat> I believe I speak for everyone when I say we thought you were joking when you asked us to do that. I would never joke about hurricanes. That's what got us into this mess. Does it ever bother you that the corporation we work for is, like, evil? Every corporation is evil. At least we get health benefits. Yeah. Wait, you get health benefits? How did you two uh, come to work together? How did you get to know each other? It's unfortunately a little boring. We just we met doing uh, stand-up comedy in Los Angeles seven and a half years ago. If you've ever started doing stand-up comedy, which I don't necessarily recommend, it's... it's... I do. If you want to start stand-up, start right now. You'll make it. You'll definitely make it. You're super funny, and uh, it's not hard at all. But yeah, it's sort of like war, and it's hell, and so when you meet people that you get along with, it's such a relief. Yeah, we met at like horrible open mics, and we had these terrible day jobs. If you find someone that you're emotionally akin to or comedically akin to you grab onto them so you're each other's life raft yeah i think too we bonded over just having completely abandoned any sense of a normal life and trying to pursue comedy and try to make things and that was our kind of obsession over it in those early years bonded us together and then ended up we ended up living together for a few years actually yeah you get little hints that the jake and matt in the show have kind of uh similar pasts you know at least in terms of they had creative pursuits at one time that Mm -hmm. they now don't right Um, Uh they're named after you obviously do you see them as like parallel universe versions of yourself that like split off in some ways i mean a a little yeah. yeah a little we named them after ourselves i think largely because we Never thought it would get to this point. I think <laughs> it's kind of a mistake. Yeah. The characters have elements of us in them or like or elements of like past versions of us when I was twenty three working at companies like this and just feeling deeply lost and confused at why I was there. That sort of me is represented in the character. Yeah, and I've from such a young age, I, m- I went back and read some of the first short stories I wrote. They were all perfect. Um, but the, the <laughs> themes there when I was really young were like, you should follow your dreams. Like there's a specific choice in life and it's to follow your dreams or not, to go for it or not. Oh my God, I want to read it's these real, short It was stories. so bad. But like, I think one of them was called like the road not taken. Like it was oh, so no. literal. Jake. But I've always been obsessed with that idea that life is this sort of like pointless exercise. So you really should just go for what you want and make the best of it but i've come close to turning away from my dreams for so many times and it i I think it pretty much worked out for now but i've been obsessed with that and sort of the moral choices that you have to make in life whether you want to go for money or you want to go for what your heart tells you to do those are all cliches yeah you're really yeah this is early morning wisdom from i felt that from a young age though (laughs) because i grew up uh in the suburbs and everyone ended up becoming a banker and it's like i just was like no i'm way weirder than this i really shouldn't be a banker i'd be a terrible banker so oh my character's also a prick and i think that at my worst i can be a prick i think they're both like outsized caricatures of who we actually 
actually are. Right, mm-hmm. right. What's, uh, what made you want to star in the show? Was that always part of it, or was it another thing where you're like, yeah, we'll do it, and then you realized like three years down the line what that actually meant? I, kind of more kind than of that, actually. We perform and do stand-up and have acted in shorts and stuff, but we actually pitched the show initially as a sketch show, more like Portlandia set inside of a corporation where you would have running characters and stuff. And it was actually a little bit of a flawed pitch or flawed concept in the sense that it wasn't going to be Jake and I playing every character and every sketch like Fred and Carrie or whatever. And Comedy Central really responded to the tone and the stories that we had, but were more interested in making it a narrative starring us was what they wanted to do because... That's just how their shows function, essentially. Yeah, acting was never our main goal. We did make a lot of sketches. We were in them. But I think we think of ourselves as writers, mainly, I think. I think that's what we're really good at. And I think a lot of times in Hollywood, you don't know you can do something until someone taps you on the shoulder and says, you can do something. And so I think with acting, it seems like this ridiculous thing. We don't have any training at it besides making our own stuff. And I think the other actors in the show are better than us. But (laughs) but we do know how how to write for ourselves. And we do know how we're funny. And so if you write the words and you have – and our director, Pat Bishop – knows us so well and has directed us for seven or eight years in sketches like in the house we lived in it gets a little easier Mm -hmm. i was gonna say you do have an absurdly good cast from working with them what have you learned about acting a lot Uh, it's made us ashamed of our own acting (laughs) (laughs) i remember adam lustick he was one of the first people we cast when we were shooting the pilot and his audition was so incredible he was the first person that came in and nailed it where right after he left it was like, well, it basically has to be this guy. But he's someone who does sort of almost micro acting where every single second he's doing something different or listening in a different way or having a slightly different emotion. And so it was interesting learning from him the like different levels of acting you can do just moment to moment. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I learned about acting And something I think we're very good at is how important casting is. Mm -hmm. And I think people don't think about that. It's like an obvious thing, but not that obvious, where if you cast something really well and you really think about it and think about what you want. Yeah, half the work is done for you. More than half. Yeah. I think it really is. I mean, obviously, our director is a genius, um, and he co-created the show, so that's very helpful. But these actors bring so much that you can't put on the page. You can only put so much on the page. Remember Annie Dudek, who's one of the – who plays Kate on the show, her – audition was great and she's like yeah i just i take the character and then i bring a person to it where a lot of people auditioning just do it kind of how it's done she brought a whole other person that you it's literally impossible to imagine what that person could be unless they acted that way and i think we just learned that we have a lot further to go and if we're not writing our own stuff it's going to be challenging for a while (laughs) i've always uh one of my sort of tv critic truisms is i feel like in your first season uh it helps if you have great writing but if you have like okay writing or you're figuring out the show but you've nailed the casting like that buys you a lot of space yes yeah tell me about that casting process how did you find I mean, this cast is is great in terms of, like, the regulars, but also the guest stars. And yeah. obviously, a lot of these people are well-known throughout the L.A. comedy scene. We had a few different ideas about it. One was we do think we're making a drama that's silly. It's just mm-hmm. how we think about comedy. So we wanted some dramatic actors. Um, Annie Dudek is amazing. She was on Mad Men in House. And she was brought in by our casting director, Lauren Gray, who's fantastic and understood what we were going for when she read the pilot. Lance Reddick is a god. And we wanted that to be a great dramatic actor and not... Yeah, we wanted that character to be sort of like the demon of capitalism. And so someone who is that intense and just 
brilliantly performative on screen. We were looking for somebody like that when his name came up. But, yeah. He was our first choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had seen him in a funnier die sketch called Toys Are Me. It was a comedy, but he was playing how he normally plays things for the most part. I mean, he, he has nuance, but we're like, oh, he understands humor. But also, we have a embarrassment of riches in the L.A. comedy scene. Unfortunately for us, not that many of them have made it yet. Yeah. And so yeah. we were able we, – oh, we wrote with a lot of people in mind and cast people that have never been seen on TV before because we knew how talented they were. And we – done sketches with them yeah. and we'd seen them do stand-up and we thought it's really distracting in a lot of comedies when they just put a famous person in a role because you're like i know that famous comedian i don't think they're actually playing this part mm-hmm. and we always thought kind of like how the coen brothers do it where they cast these people with faces you've never seen before and you believe what's going on and we wanted to create a unique universe for the most part or we just wanted to get great dramatic actors and give them really silly shit to say yeah uh-huh when you say you think about comedy as drama that's silly, tell me a little bit more about that. I think for me, at least, it's more that my favorite comedies are dramas, but that dip into comedy or that are sort of such heightened dramas that they end up being funny. Like a lot of Coen Brothers movies, people are getting killed constantly, but then right around the corner, there's a laugh. And I think that a lot of comedies start from this place of such heightened comedy that the whole reality doesn't feel real. It can still be fun, but there's a falseness to it. And I think that we were interested in creating something that felt real and grounded, even if it's in a heightened reality, and had a dramatic you know, air to it so that the comedy would sort of react against that in a way. Pat Bishop once said, when you make a scene look incredible and you light it like a drama and then you make a joke the joke is almost that you did all that to make a joke and so it really is funny it's like there's this expectation in your brain when it looks like a drama when something silly happens you laugh even harder because it's more like it's like a horror movie shock but also I've said this before but the movie Airplane is one of the funniest comedies ever and it's much sillier than our show but it's a drama. Yeah. It's a drama about being on a plane and like there's a sickness and Leslie Nielsen is a dramatic actor and he plays it straight and that's why it's so funny. Yeah. You get actors with gravitas to say silly things. I just think that's the funniest formula for comedy. You know, Paul Thomas Anderson, think of like Boogie Nights. It's like so, it's a sprawling epic, but then he has dumb jokes in it, yeah. really dumb jokes. And it it's hilarious yeah it just reacts against um the expectation of the movie yeah yeah i remember when i was uh, a kid my mom was watching the movie airplane is based on like there is a straight-faced drama oh really they took and remade into airplane Hmm. and she was laughing the whole way through and i was like what this is a very serious movie she's like yes but it's airplane i was like okay i I was six so i didn't know what that meant but um and i think that is uh kind of an interesting like way to look at how to make comedy how to make how to make it funny but that is often hard to get on to television yes um, yeah it is <laughs> did it you is. have struggles with like getting that I, I realize that comedy central is more of a home to this sort of thing than than a lot of other networks i but. think it did take a lot of drilling just kind of badgering them badgering our vision into them a little bit and kind of being relentless in what we wanted to do because i think comedy central thankfully is very creator friendly and isn't trying to like rip a project away from you Mm -hmm. but you do again over the course of months and then years there is always a temptation to be like is this too dark or should we take this in a slightly different direction and so the way they say it is we have concerns about the tone yeah (laughs) that's how they say it that's the political (laughs) way there there are tone concerns yeah and so for us it was again just sort of 
maniacal dedication to no, this is what we're doing. And not not that we weren't listening to them, but just from the writing of it to the shooting of it to the casting of it to the editing of it there's a lot of ways in which it could get fucked up and taken in the wrong direction and so you have to continue to like push those hands away and like focus on what you're yeah doing. you have to really believe in what you're doing also what did help us in terms of getting the tone approved to shoot and stuff is uh we made a ton of sketches with a similar tone we've mm-hmm. always had what people perceive as a dark tone which i object to that word but whatever <laughs> i just darkness it's like such a it's used in a negative it's like no it's just a tone we have it's what we think comedy is you're saying it's dark mm-hmm. but we made so many sketches and proved that we could make it work because the sketches were funny between three of us we made hundreds of these things so i think they knew that if anyone could do it we could yeah i think people are often afraid of darkness but then the things that inspire you most are the things that people think are dark Mm. i think those are your favorite things always yeah they happen to your subconscious i'm gonna put a pin in that and come back to it um (laughs) but i I did want to ask you mentioned that this was originally going to be a sketch show Mm. there aren't like serialized storylines in the way you'd think of them but like elements come back throughout the season what what do you think was gained from turning it into a more traditional scripted comedy i think a lot i think that you know part of the reason we were pitching as a sketch was just that that was what we had done and yeah i mean the concept that we had i think would have been funny under the right circumstances but i do think what was gained is that you can develop a richer world and do storylines that can be bigger and matter a little more Mm -hmm. whereas sketches you are kind of inhibiting yourself to making small points or even if it's a big point you have to do it in these sort of choppy ways and so you know creating a show that we can tell a story over 21 minutes instead of three minute increments opened us up a lot i think it's harder but if you are pushed to do something that's more challenging eventually the reward is greater it's sort of what i was saying before you don't know how good you are you don't know that you can write a narrative so we'd written some pilots and some scripts you know to try and sell or try to get work and but once we were like okay we have to do it and we didn't want to fail um, we realized oh this is an addiction storytelling is very hard to do it well it's really hard to make a satire where you're saying like look at our writing is very hard but if you're pushed to do it you can do it and it's so much more rewarding let's take a break if you've been listening to this podcast with the guys from corporate you you probably are thinking hey i'd like to start my own evil world dominating corporation of my very own but you can't start a corporation these days without a website and if you need a website for your new world dominating corporation well i have got just the place for you Squarespace. At Squarespace, you can create your own beautiful website for your startup corporation. So with Squarespace, you can create a beautiful website and take your cool idea and put it up there, put it on the internet, showcase your work, blog or publish content. You can sell products and services of all kinds. After all, every corporation needs to sell something. You can promote your physical or online business. That's what we're talking about right now. Or you can announce an upcoming event or special project or, you know, whatever you want. If you just like want to show off photos of your kids to family, members, you could do that. But why would you do that when you could start a world-dominating corporation? Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. It's got powerful e-commerce functionality, the ability to customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, and more with just a few clicks. Everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box, and it features a new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. The analytics will help you grow in real time, and there's built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, 
nothing to patch or upgrade, and 24-7 award-winning customer support. So when you are up at 3 in the morning trying to get the page where you can buy uh, sharks branded with your corporate logo, Squarespace will be there to back you up. Now, here's what you want to do if you want to sign up for Squarespace. You're going to head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, you use the code INTERESTING. That's in the title of the show, folks. INTERESTING to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. Use the free trial when you're ready. When you're ready to buy, use the code INTERESTING, 10% off your website or domain. Go and do it. The sharks are there for you. Welcome back to I Think You're Interesting. My guests this week are Matt Ingebretson and Jake Wiseman. They're the creators and stars of the terrifically funny new show, Corporate on Comedy Central. 21 minutes, uh, a lot of TV comedy folks sometimes chafe at that mm-hmm. because you have to cut a lot out right. inevitably. But sometimes people come around and love the restriction of it. Did you did you find a way to, to, to love the restriction or are you still love it? Yeah, we definitely fall into that category. I, I'm sure that there are things, there's, there's lines that we cut in various episodes that are really funny but at the end of the day our belief is that you're almost always better off being brutal on yourselves and cutting things out even if they're funny because like i can't think of a situation where we had to cut out the big punchline of a scene that we then missed later it was always things that just helped the pacing of it and helped us get to the points that we needed to get to Mm -hmm. more quickly i think probably the only things we like occasionally lost were the ability to slow down a little bit or play out scenes a little more naturally but even then i don't mind it all the time or that's the nature of comedy central i think a lot of shows now on netflix and hulu because they don't have the time restrictions don't cut stuff out mm. that they should and cut they're out. worse for and it, a lot yeah. of movies most almost every movie could cut out half an hour and, <laughs> and be better for it <laughs> these days i think so I think we generally liked having that restriction. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a good thing. It's so frustrating at the time. But if you're having to cut stuff because you have too many good things, that's a great problem. Yeah. That's what you should aim for when you're writing. I, I'm going to go on kind of a weird tangent here because you've both uh, you've mentioned Paul Thomas Anderson and how much you like him. And speaking of comedies that are dramatic, I think Phantom Thread, his latest movie, oh, yeah, is wonderful. very much in that vein. Absolutely. Like, yeah, I, I laughed at a lot of that, and people Me were like, too. why are you laughing it's at It's so that? funny. What did you think of that movie? I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of his best movies ever. I thought it was possibly the best movie of the year, though. I think that conversation is a little silly, because it's so subjective. But sure. look at all the work he's doing to set up this universe in, like, 1950s London, which is almost besides the point. Yeah. And that's what I like. But he yeah. puts so much dedication into this world. World, which is, I think, what we did with our show, too. And you just put so much dedication into the production design and the look and the casting and all of that stuff. He builds so much tension and mood and then will deflate it with something simple but brilliant like eating breakfast too loudly. Not to spoil <laughs> yeah. anything, but it's like... And it was also just so immersive, and it felt like immediately like you were watching a classic Hollywood movie. I think that movie reflected life pretty well, yeah. where it's like this kind of like boring drama for a while. Like you're just like day to day. You're like, what am I doing? Uh, you're obsessed with work because you don't know what else to do. And and then then the actuality of life is just so silly. Like even. Things like sex are hilarious. You know yeah. what I mean? Like every every like intimate thing is hilarious, and they're uh, trying to connect with another person is hilarious and a nightmare. And um, that movie 
is a, is an absolute masterpiece. I honestly might be his best movie. Yeah, just because yeah. it's like a, a classic. It's yeah. like a perfectly contained, beautiful little thesis with a great twist at the end. Yeah, no one has any twists anymore. The best twist <laughs> since the Sixth Sense. <laughs> I uh, I like to tell people uh, that my wife and I think that's one of the best movies about marriage, uh, and that the last movie we thought that about was Gone Girl. So people are very <laughs> concerned. For no, this is literally true. No, yeah. I I agree. I I think this is a thing that I don't understand about entertainment for most people is they're obsessed with escapism Mm -hmm. and it's like no i i don't want escapism i want someone to reflect what i'm going through so i feel less alone in the world because i feel dark i feel like (laughs) obsessed with death i'm scared intimacy terrifies me um but if someone else admits that that's what they're going through but they make it work anyway Mm -hmm. that's to me what i want from entertainment well well pivoting off that what were the terrible jobs that inevitably inspired this show like what what was your life in corporate america i mean obviously you're making the show in corporate america right but what was your life in corporate america before the show a lot of my jobs that i had out in la when i first moved here were in offices like the ones portrayed in the show. I had a degree in marketing as well as English, and uh, so I got a lot of jobs in social media or digital marketing or copy editing, and they were uh, devastating to my psyche. There's something just about... I think that the longer you go on in life or the more you need a job, it like you settle into it a little more. But there's for so long, if you're in the wrong environment, it it's like prison. It's like school. It's it feels like you're being forced to go there and you're being paid to be there. I had a job once where I was one of three people in the office. It was me, this sales guy and then our boss and so and the boss essentially just roamed back and forth between the offices of this sales guy and me and so i just felt like i was being stalked all day and monitored and i think that not every job is like that but if you've ever had a boss that you don't love the feeling of oppression and that they sort of own your life is uh really awful and i think we Tried to get tried to get that in the show. Yeah, and I when I first came out here, I actually had a job in the building we're recording in um, as a PA. But I worked a lot of film jobs that weren't creative, and they were hell. They were just in service of other people and so full of stress. I worked in post production for a long time, hated it so much. It just has nothing to do with creativity, at least the jobs I had. And um, then I quit that when I found comedy and worked at a chandelier store. And I can just assure you, any job besides getting to do exactly what you want is awful. And uh, since I don't have kids, I have nothing to work for besides my own ego. So I needed to find a job that would satiate my dreams. And I just have hated every single job I've ever had besides making this show. And this show was extremely hard to make. And I just more love the idea of it than the actual work of it. But I still liked it. And it was, yeah. I have to do this or I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Chandelier store. This sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I learned uh, what it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you were uh, talking about corporations like... What's weird about the American corporation is it's this inherently dehumanizing thing mm-hmm. where you're turned into a cog in a machine and they're very literally like, okay, you need to do this much and that justifies your cogness. Mm-hmm. But then they're also um, trying to make you feel like a human being. You know, they'll have group <laughs> right. outings or they'll like go get tacos or whatever. Uh, and you explore that disparity really well throughout the show. And it, like, I'm wondering, how do you sort of feel about 
the idea of corporations as dehumanizing well, uh, we, forces. It, well, they definitely are. <laughs> I mean, that's why robots are going to take over our jobs because that's what corporations want. They want like the work without the personality. You know, he, humans are so complicated and everyone's in so much pain. But when, when you show up at work, you put in a suit, which is like pretending to be a person you aren't, you yeah. know, so you can just do this job and not have any of the parts that make you human enter into it. I think that's why we have stock imagery or we're making fun of stock imagery in our title sequence is because it's literal dehumanization. It's humans pretending to be something they're not and having emotions that they they aren't really having. And I, I think that like I don't even blame corporate America for doing this. Yeah. The laws are on their side. So why wouldn't they try to make as much money off of people? Why would they care about people? It would only cut their um, their gains. And I think it's sort of horrifically funny how corporations are made of people, but ideally the person at the top would have nobody working for them. It would yeah. just be a bunch of robots handing them money. <laughs> um, and I just think it's funny. Why, why wouldn't corporations do it if they can? Right. Right. The laws are all in their favor. I always like thinking about it too, because like we talked to one one person in an interview where it was like a crowd, someone in the crowd who self-identified as a millennial, which was just a a bad <laughs> so a, a bad do. start to the question. But um, she was asking about companies who are starting to have better work-life balance and stuff like that. But there still is just it's a little embarrassing, or just like the fact that the, they're giving you better snacks is the idea that they're treating you better it's like they they think of you as an animal and they're just giving you different snacks to yeah eat. they're <laughs> tricking you in it aparna yeah. who plays grace in the show just said they're just viruses that are getting smarter yeah and i think it's like but also like that's why you need laws the reason i'm liberal even though i hate both parties so much mm-hmm. is because if people are given free reign and corporations give free reign they'll be bad yeah that you have to stop them from being bad or they won't be good and that's just what corporations are the new nations you can't beat them they've won the game it's impossible to beat them unless you blow them up well mm-hmm. and, yeah and the other reason that dehumanization happens is because there are people that are disconnected from everything that's happening on the ground level making decisions about how those people should be behaving and so there's like the sort of chain of command thing that happens when a company gets big enough always becomes problematic most companies start out totally fine like mcdonald's it was like just a nice burger shop and everyone got along and made hamburgers and then suddenly they employ hundreds of thousands of people and there's no way to account for the best ways to handle all of those people and like make them feel like human beings so you just turn them into machines which they're literally doing mcdonald's will no longer have human beings i think in the near future but i mean again unless the laws stop it it's not going to stop yeah right what has being the essentially the bosses of not a corporation but a giant organization full of people who are supposed to do very specific things (laughs) that need to get done at a certain time what has that taught you about that mindset well uh, that I think that they're wrong. Um, I mean, if you want to make money, maybe they're not wrong. Maybe being brutal is good. But the way that we – like, I'm thankful that I was a PA for a long time, um, and we've had shitty jobs. So I think the way we act on set is, like, we should be a little more boss-like in the sense that we should – like, I'm apologizing to assistants. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Can you get me coffee? Like, yeah. <laughs> even though they – like, and they're like, it's my job. Stop saying sorry. So I think we need to, like, take more control and be like, yeah, we're in charge of this company. But 
I do think that if you're nice to people, they want to work more for you. If you make people feel part of the team and like they're all part of the creative process, which they are mm-hmm. on a film set, it is a collaborative thing. It's not us. Like we wrote it, but you need great props guys. You need great set deck. You literally need all of them to be at the top of their game in order to make something great or you're screwed. Mm-hmm. You need to make them all feel like they're part of the art project. Um, and I do think in the end that that's when you get a better product. Do you make the most money? I don't know, but everyone's doesn't feel like their lives are being wasted as much. It is very easy, though, I think, and it's a thing you have to battle against when you are put into positions of power over groups of people, which is that it's so easy to be caught up with what you're thinking about or doing that you can accidentally ignore the needs of somebody else who, you know, looks up to you or whatever. And so I think you have to be vigilant every day to remind yourself that everyone around you is a human being. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, I think it's, in, it's interesting in that sense, which is that if you're like a boss at a corporation, you're not inherently evil, but you are put into a position where you can't behave well or can't be the best version of yourself without being rigorous about your behavior, I think. How much have you tried to define what the company on the show does? Because it seems like they're responsible for everything that's awful. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of intentionally did not want to define it too closely. Or the, or the slogan of the company is, we make everything. Mm-hmm. And what we liked about that, other than it's a reflection of certain real conglomerates out there. Like, and they actually make nothing. Yeah. yeah they G- just buy companies that make stuff. Yeah, GE and um, Honeywell and Berkshire Hathaway, companies that have their hands in totally disparate, disconnected you know, types of business. The intention with that was that to give us the ability to comment on anything in society. It's like if we want to do an episode about the beauty industry, Hampton DeVille owns a company that is in the beauty industry. So we can dip into that. I think story-wise, it was convenient for us and also served the larger purpose of corporations own everything. Are there aspects of corporate culture you really wanted to touch on that you didn't get a chance in season one? Yeah, I I think, you know, you you get 10 episodes, which is a lot, and you feel like they're all your ideas, but then, you know, you have so many other things. I mean, we're three men who created the show, and we do half the room when we write it are women, so I think if we got to do more, we would talk about maybe the gender politics a little more. We touched on that a little bit in season one, but I think we would like to talk about that in an intelligent way, and... uh, there's always more ways to talk about how corporations are ruining your life. There's right. like hopefully many seasons worth uh, of that. But yeah, I think gender inequality, not necessarily because of the Me Too movement or anything. It's just something we want to talk about. How come most CEOs are men? Mm-hmm. Like what? why? There's got to be some bad reasons for that. Or uh, why is it such a male-dominated workforce? That's definitely stuff we want to talk about. And we also, there are just different aspects. We want the show to be about how corporations are ruining your life, but also also kind of how life ruins your life yeah it's not just like <laughs> mm-hmm. when you create a tv show ideally you create something that's a vehicle like south park's a brilliant idea for a show because it, it's just a vehicle to talk about anything you want and that's right. what we're trying to go with with corporate is we want to talk about how just being an adult and coming to terms with what adulthood is contrasted with when you're a kid you're like you can do anything and then you get to meet an adult you're like wait what happened now i just trying to hope i can do one thing you know <laughs> and just accepting that adulthood is about accepting a lot of failures, but that's hopefully okay. One of the things I noticed throughout is that there are these little moments that have a little more resonance because of the Me Too movement. Um, Like Kate 
getting shut out of a meeting, essentially. Mm-hmm. And we just hear her inner monologue get progressively angrier right. and angrier. Or even more explicit things like there are stairs some talk about sexual harassment, things like that. Um, what was having that writer's room with women in it? Like, what did that sort of teach you about the corporate experience? A lot. I mean, I think even as we think of ourselves as very open-minded men who are uh, you know, trying their best, but there are still things that it's easy for us to have blind spots on with regard to issues like that. And so it added a level of nuance and just accuracy and allowed us to come from the right uh, place with it. There was a storyline, for example, that we were attracted to for a little while. We we just had the simple idea that there was at Hampton DeVille something called an erotic incident report. Um, the idea essentially just made us laugh that there would be an erotic incident that somebody would have to report on. And this was happening before this the Me Too movement blew up in this way, so it felt a little, <laughs> a little more tame, whereas now it feels horrific. But even at that time when we were talking about it, there was something funny on the surface of that, but when we dug into it a little deeper with the writers, we were like, oh, we're dipping into sexual harassment, and there's really nothing funny about this, or you have to be very careful on how you tread into this territory so we ended up ditching that story because it didn't feel like it would accurately represent what what's going on i also think you know if anyone complains about having to hire people that aren't the same race as them or are different gender what they're forgetting is that it's so incredibly helpful to have different points of view like literally economically it's better for you to have people who don't think like you it makes your story better because if it has to apply to more people that's good and i think it literally is a better room and a funnier room if you're getting people who don't think the same to agree that a joke or a story works. And I I think every room should, I think it should be split down the middle gender-wise, and I think that makes it better. I really do. I don't see how it can hurt you. It can only give you more information in which to make comedy Mm. uh, from. Well, that's actually a good pivot to talk about the dark tone of the show. This is definitely a show where when I turn people onto it, I talk to them about it. Some people are just like, yes. And then some people are like, this is kind of bleak, don't you think? (laughs) Um, And you do talk about like serious subjects. Like you have jokes about suicide. You have jokes about mental health, things like that. Like how do you... How do you balance all that? Because I think you do balance it, but also, like, there are going to be people who disagree with me that you balance it. Yeah. I think that it's kind of uh, that reflects our life philosophy a little bit, which is that our our way to cope with the darkness in the world is to have a sense of humor about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think certain people... Um, will probably react negatively to that or will not be into it because their way of coping with the world is to try to escape the darkness or to shove it aside, whereas we enjoy leaning into it and kind of having fun, at the very least, like making fun of it a little bit. I I mean, there's definitely something wrong with my brain that when something is dark, it makes me laugh. That's why I don't think that people should call it dark. I think should people like what people refer to as dark humor should just be called humor. And I think uh, most people I know are pretty depressed. So I don't really it's just normal to me. I guess I live in a bubble, but I don't think I do. I, I do think most people are pretty sad. Growing up, my family was pretty sad. Like everyone's really upset and complaining about their life. Most conversations are just complaints. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like if you don't want to look that in the eye, 
then okay, then watch something else. Watch something with like really pure escapism. But to me, I just really think that like this is what's funniest. I've talked about this before, but the funniest thing about life is that we were sperm. We made it to the egg. We came to full term. We're alive. We experience love, loss, da 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 da, all this stuff, all this drama, and then we die, and it doesn't matter. Like I, I just, and then we trend on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. that's what's funny about life are the the macro jokes, I think- even stuff like the Adams family growing up it's like it's not dark it's just funny it's like it's embracing death in a beautiful way and like that's not dark that's just a healthy thing to do right i do think too that part of what is maybe different about our show or that is that it is packaged in a darker world whereas there are a lot of shows that i think people who might have this reaction to our show like that just package the humor a little differently. Like 30 Rock, for example, had some of the darkest jokes ever in it. There was a joke where the doctor came in one time. His uh, shirt was covered in blood. What? This? (laughs) No, no. I was at a costume party earlier this evening, and the hostess's dog attacked me, so I had to stab it. That show has upbeat music and is brightly lit. And so... I think that maybe the difference in our show is just that we leaned into it a little harder. Dark humor permeates all comedies if you look close enough. uh, uh, I think we're not looking for escapism. We're looking for catharsis. The thing about it is it's funny. So whether you think it's dark or not, it's funny. And so if you're able to look at that stuff uh, and not be hurt by it, then I think you'll realize we're just trying to we're just trying to create something really funny. Mm-hmm. And this is the way we do it. Right. And uh, if you don't like it, fine. But I think it's really funny and I think it's hard to deny a little bit. One of the things I think makes it work is a lot of the times that sort of tone can curdle into cynicism, you know, mm-hmm. where it's like too easy to be like you're in your your uh, junior year study hall and just writing, man, life sucks. Yeah, yeah. Notebook. <laughs> right. But like there are so many moments in the show where like uh, I think it's it's your character who doesn't watch the TV show. Everybody's right. obsessed with uh, Society Tomorrow. Yes, yeah. Society, Society Tomorrow. Yeah. Society Tomorrow. And like he's he's very like convicted that he's not going to watch it. And he's like, I just I just like being contrary. And I yeah. just think I think that makes me more interesting. Like, I think you're very good at undercutting. Even your own stances and like how how important is that to your view of what comedy is? Very important. I'm, it's nice to hear you point that out. One movie we talked about in the making of this was Fight Club, which earlier in our lives we all loved and then still enjoy aspects of it. But there are things about it now that feel like the way masculinity is portrayed in it is a little nuts. But there's an there's an element of that movie or in all of us where we're like fuck society like fuck you we're taking down the system yeah. but then the other aspect of it is like we love the system and thank god the system is here because i like amazon prime and i <laughs> order packages to my house and so i think we wanted to capture the hypocrisy in everyone <laughs> with with that and that there is like you can ha- you can be both people at once where Jake's character is the most hyper cynical person in the world but at the end of the day he's sensitive and lonely just like the rest of us I think self-awareness gets you almost everywhere uh, that's what I was saying is I think we ma- we really tried to make an excellent comedy that has a ton of jokes and so to me it's not just scribbling life sucks it's being aware that you feel life sucks but then making an entertainment out of it it's right. using all of the stupid things about you and trying to make people happy because uh, the system makes you feel like a hypocrite no matter what. There's no way to beat the system. You you can't live a good life and feel okay about it because so many people are suffering and there's all these weird 
uh, cross currents that are going on in your brain, and we're just trying to be self-aware and make you laugh. And I, that's why I don't think it's dark, because we're making you laugh so much, we're making the best out of the darkness that you I, feel. I think, too, hopefully, that because of how dark it is, this the moments that you get where a character is a human being or has a you know a moment of levity or or um emotion will feel a little more potent because um the rest of it is mired in darkness and so it'll be a bright light within that yeah yeah i i think especially of the uh, the the episode set during the weekend when we sort of see who the characters think they are outside of work and it's right. it's you know kind of the same people yes. in right. some ways when you're when you're doing jokes in this territory it's it's you know it's 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 tricky it, you it can you can cross a line into something that's offensive things like that mm-hmm. and obviously people's lines are going to be different like everybody has a different line but how do you decide when a joke doesn't work in this regard how do you decide when a joke is going too far or when you need to pull it back or cut it altogether I think that it depends on – you have to keep in mind who the target of the joke is. Mm -hmm. And so we have episodes where the corporation is doing awful, awful things. But um, the idea is that that is representative of corporate America and the types of things that they do or would do. And we have no problem punching up towards the most powerful people in the world. And I think that if you're attacking someone smaller and weaker, that's a problem. But – yeah, I think that's that's part of the rubric, at least. It's another um, reason why having rooms full of not people that just have the same exact human experience are, is really helpful. If if six or seven people that are somewhat different um, agree that a joke works, it works. Yeah, you know, and and I think we're not trying to hurt anyone in this show, except for the people we think who should be hurt. <laughs> um, we're not we're not out to attack people below us. We just want to make fun of. We just want to make fun of life. Um, And I think we're pretty, you know, we don't want to make any easy jokes. And I think that's kind of some of the most painful ones. Right. Yeah. And I think we don't mind making things that are a little uncomfortable in in certain ways, Um, just as long as we feel like the message behind it or the thesis behind it is something along the lines of life is ridiculous. It's uh, dumb that we're alive. So let's have a self-awareness about that and joke about it a little bit. Right. You know? mm-hmm. right. We've talked a number of times about the pointlessness of a situation that ends the same way for everybody. And that death uh, is sort of where we're all headed. What would you say is sort of your overriding philosophy or like what keeps what keeps you going? What keeps the the show from curdling into something that's too hard to bear? That sort of existential angst, I guess, can be uh, a lot for a lot of people, including myself at times. But sure. I don't. I think you keep a sense of. I don't want to say like obviously there's a sense of humor to the show, but I think there mm-hmm. is a vague, weird optimism way down underneath all the other levels. And I'm wondering what's sort of powering that. Well, I love beautiful works of art. Uh, I mean, I, I like, you know, that's what I wanted to do growing up is make things. And I think we really worked hard to make something really good that looks good, feels good, is interesting. Ideally, this show will be watched by people that are young that will inspire them to make things you know like that's how i feel is like you you grow up you look at these amazing things people have made you're inspired then you grow up and make those things and then hopefully you're some people are watching corporate and they're like oh my god this is amazing i want to make stuff Mm. that's great that'll hopefully make people who feel alone feel like they have a purpose in life or that they can do something cool because honestly life 
is a, if you look at it a certain way, it is a little pointless. Or the point is to just exist and have as good a time as possible and be nice to people. But regardless, I do think making something incredible, that's a total – and I, I'm not going to say our thing's incredible, but I, I do think it's really good. And I, I do think we really tried. And that is an act of hope. Mm-hmm. That truly is. If you if you can make something that people want to tune into every week and really be interested by and make them think a little differently and be inspired by it comedically or there are certain lines that they repeat to their friends like that, that's the opposite of darkness. That's like a, a feeling of connection. That's light. That makes you feel like there are people out there who understand you. And I don't think there's anything better in the world than seeing something that someone makes and feeling connected to it. What has the show, if anything, sort of made you feel either more strongly about or changed your your thoughts on how uh, American corporate culture could improve? You know, we talked to a bunch of people from Amazon and Google and different corporations, like just to interview them. Mostly they confirmed our suspicions about what it was like. And we do talk a lot about how horrible corporations are. But the funny thing is, is you talk to some people at corporations, they're like, yeah, it's horrible and this sucks, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's like we do have health benefits and, you know, we, we clock in, we clock out. We sometimes stay in nice hotels and, like, I'm able to buy a house. So I think, like, you know, the thing about life is, like, you get one chance at it and if you can find a job that pays you well it's not that bad you just sort of give up on some of your dreams you had when you were a kid but here's the thing when you're a kid you're dumb and so you don't really know what life is so you're you you can't do all those things you're being lied to that you can do anything so i think that uh it's not that terrible but our view is funnier which is that it's terrible i think too that we talked about this a little earlier but the dehumanization that happens in corporations is the main culprit of why everything goes wrong so i don't know whoever the geniuses are out there thinking about this it's like make sure that people are treated like human beings because most of them are not i think i mean i think jeff bezos listens to this show so (laughs) i call him jeffrey when i text (laughs) well uh, we're kind of headed into the end of the show but i do want to ask what are some fictional workplaces you would actually like to work at if you had to definitely not hampton deville on the show (laughs) i'd rather die yeah um what are some so i mean dunder mifflin i mean the paper thing that sucks the guys were funny. Where though. did uh, George Jetson work? Oh, oh yeah. in the sky. Yeah. Was it Spacely? Was, was that just his boss or was that also the name of the company? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'd work Because I guess most, yeah, most comedies are about people who don't love their jobs. I wouldn't mind being the coach in Coach. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to be a coach. I think I could be mm-hmm. someone yelling instructions at people. Um, like being a coach is a cool job. Mm-hmm. 30 Rock, I guess I'd work in a writer's room. I could work in a writer's room. Like, because yeah. I feel like 30 Rock is obviously very silly, this but. It's like a cheat answer. It's like, I would do the thing that I actually. Yeah, do. I would, I would want to write for a TV show uh, and just be existential and make a lot of money and have health insurance have an writing answer? stupid jokes. I've always felt like I'd, I'd enjoy working at Cheers. Yeah. Like, I think that, that that seems like it'd be kind of a. Like, they'd, I'd probably get to go to work at four in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems like it'd That'd be, be nice. Pretty, yeah. I, I, Most shows are about workplaces, yeah. some sort of workplace. Like, almost every show is yeah most shows are about workplaces and ours is just specifically about that or something I'd work in I don't the know. cafe in friends like would you consider parks and rec to be an office comedy i think so yeah 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 okay i'm not sure i'd want to work for local government though that I don't seems think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh well uh, at the end of every show we ask our guests some of the same questions so i'm gonna ask you those and i'm gonna start with uh do you like to revisit your work do you watch the episodes of corporate as they air or by then are you just sick of them through editing them you spend way too much time with them so by the time we finished editing editing them we needed a break 
But now that they're out again, it's kind of fun checking them out. There's always a weird, when you're watching yourself, it always feels bad and you're nitpicking every little thing and you can see the stitches in there. So, but I can watch them now and enjoy them to some extent, at least. <laughs> I, the idea that they're on TV, when they come on the TV, it's like, we're on the TV. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, but I don't. I think because our first show, it's still there's this giddiness to it. Like, oh my god, can you believe it? But yeah, as as Matt was saying, when you rewatch it, you're like, oh my face is fat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all you really feel. Mm-hmm. What's uh, the last pop culture thing, movie, TV, book, song, whatever that you consumed, and what did you think of it? I read a book. Jake gave me actually a book of short stories by Lori Moore called Birds of America. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I loved it. It was, it's really kind of subtly devastating. She feels like she's able to peek around the corner of your emotions or like look up the skirt of your emotions in a really, in a way where you're like, how are you, how do you know this about me and why she's do you know this about me? She's another person who can be called extremely dark, but is also really funny. She's so like really she's funny. Dark, but it's not dark. It's just what life is. And then she's also really funny in the midst of horrific things happening, mm-hmm. yeah. which is perfect. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Phantom Thread. I mean, I, I just have seen it a bunch now and I went through a breakup recently, so it was really helpful. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's a, I think it's a masterwork. Yeah. Yeah. And finally, what is a joke somebody else has told that you wish you had told? Oh, there's this I used to do open mics um, with this guy, Jonathan Kim, who uh, is a film critic now. But he had this joke that I always thought was so funny where um, he it's a little mean, but he's talking about Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. And he's talking about, you know, what Courtney Love has turned into. It's weird to think that Kurt Cobain dodged a bullet by killing himself. (laughs) I always love that joke. It's so dark. Man, I'm just blanking right now. I feel like this is not a good joke, but whenever I'm with like relatives I haven't seen in a while and they force me to tell them a joke, the joke that I tell them is two guys walk into a bar, the third guy ducked, yeah. which is not a good joke. They're always annoyed that I've told them this, uh, but that's the joke that I throw at my aunts and uncles when I really forced good. it into a joke. Yeah. Good joke. Good joke. Uh, watch Corporate. It's funny. It's on Comedy Central on Wednesdays. And uh, Jake, Matt, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having us. I Think You're Interesting is run by a kind, generous, and loving boss who only wants the best for everyone who works with him. And that boss is me, Todd Vanderwer, the executive producer and host of I Think You're Interesting. I am not, however, the head of Vox Podcasting. The heads of Vox Podcasting are Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishat Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. Our logo design is thanks to Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulrich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. And our audio engineering is thanks to P3 Post. We also recorded this episode at the P3 Post studio in Hollywood, California. Our producer is Bridget Armstrong. And our recording engineer, as always, is Che Brooks. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this episode on Apple 
Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify. The more that you help us out with this, the more that it helps us get the word about the show out there to other people who might enjoy it and to some of our guests who now, sometimes when I read them the the final questions, we, we cut a lot of this out, but or it'll be off mic after the show. They'll be like, you know, I was prepared for that. So now that the word is getting out there, they, they're not as taken aback by the questions anymore. If you have something you don't want to say to me in a review, you can email me at Todd at box.com. If you have something you want to say to the whole show that you don't want to say in a review, you can email us at ityi.podcast, itye.podcast at box.com. You can also tweet at me at tvoti, that is Tavoti. We will be back next week with another guest from the world of. I'm, you know what? I'm just going to spoil it. We're going to be back next week with Bill Nye. Bill Nye the he's, he's a great interview. He's a great guy to talk to, and I, I think you're going to have fun with it. So we'll be back next week with that. Look forward to it. And until then, remember, you're all going to die.